I would invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. We're going to be starting in verse 41. And while you're turning there, as I've studied this sermon that Jesus is giving that we're near the end of today about himself being the bread of life, I've thought about fasting. Do you know what I'm talking about? Basically, what it is is letting go of something, like food, for a period of time for something better like time with Jesus. And so this is, this is not to brag, but I've done some fasting before, and you know what? It is harder than you think. What's skipping one meal to devote yourself to seeking the Lord and not letting your physical appetite be your master? It's easy at first. You wake up in the morning, and usually you can go a while before you start to feel hunger pains or your stomach starts gurgling. The day goes on, and then you make the big mistake. You think about food or how well you're doing without it. And you try to dislodge the thought of food, and suddenly you're wrestling a bull. And the more you try not to think about it, the more you do. And then, if you're at home when you do this, and the rest of the family goes to the table to eat, it gets worse. And then, you feel bad if you're not sitting there with them. You don't get much family time anyway, so you sit there, but you're miserable because you've long stopped thinking about God. And instead, you're interested, and instead, you're trying to not sit there awkwardly without food. While everyone else raises to their mouths savory sandwiches stuffed with delicious meat, cheese, greens, some specialty mustard or sauce on an artisan bun. You finally make it through the time of fasting, and when you do, you end up eating twice as much as you normally would, and then you feel terrible and then guilty that your endeavor to stay close to God went the exact opposite. You were focused on your hunger. You have to admit your need. Why is it <laughs> that it is many times so hard to fast for a meal or a whole day of eating food, but sometimes we don't bat an eye about skipping meeting with the Lord and walking with him during the day, praying and hearing his word? All the while, our spirit groans and gurgles, if I can say that, for something more, some, some food that actually satisfies. And it groans not just for today, but food that laughs, food that lasts forever. And if you've ever been around someone really hungry, they're usually focused on one thing. And they're often grumpy if they think for a moment you're going to get in the way of them meeting their need. We have a world full of people, you and me included, who need real food to satisfy that need and who have thought or think we know how to be full on our own. The question is, are we going to admit our need for real food and believe him as he is when he shows up? That's where this crowd was when Jesus showed up to them. And that's what we face today as we hear his word. So would you please stand with me as we read God's word this morning from John chapter 6, verses 41 through 59. Let's read together. 
So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. You can have a seat. Jesus is the food we really need. Jesus has told the crowd that the work they need to be doing, back in chapter 6, verses 28 and 29, they need to be believing the one God the Father sent. And that's him. And he has told them using the metaphor of bread. He is the bread of life. And if they weren't struggling before, they are now. The need is becoming greater. First, we need heavenly food. Jesus tells them how they can have their spiritual hunger satisfied forever. And what do they do? They grumble. Why? They think they know him. Is, this, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? They totally miss the part that he's the bread of life, and they struggle with the from heaven part. It's one thing for Jesus to provide a free meal. Let's have some more, Jesus. But if, an, if it's another, but it's, a, it's one thing for Jesus to provide a free meal. Let's have some more, Jesus. But it's another if Jesus says, you need heavenly food, and I'm that food. And they think, we know his parents. We saw this kid go to synagogue when he was just a little whippersnapper. And now that he's grown up, he says he's from heaven? We'd have a hard time with this as well if we were in their sandals. Our family member, our neighbor who we grew up with, say they become that world-famous football player, racer, or the president, and we'd say, oh, that's really cool! And we'd probably also say, I grew up with them. 
But things would change, wouldn't they? The moment they start saying anything that implies that they are better than you. That what they're doing is something that you desperately need. And you're not only not gifted to do it, but you're incapable of doing. And they're doing it because you need it. And they tell you about it. Uh Uh-uh, sir. I'll respect you as a person, but there is no way you're better. I'll try to find it from someone someone less familiar. Jesus comes as fully God and fully man. And one of the reasons he came as a man was to show the world how mistrusting it is of God. We need heavenly food. And he's right there. And they're grumbling because their faulty idea of God is getting in the way. This is what sin does. It warps our view of ourselves. We don't need heavenly food. And it warps our view of God. We would be way more worshipful if God showed up in a blaze of glory rather than in the body of a Galilean carpenter. Oh, every record of God showing up like that in Scripture is accompanied by people falling at his feet, though dead, if he shows up in a blaze of glory. He comes that we would come to him. If this was hard to swallow for first century Jews, you bet it's at least as hard for Americans so set in their own opinions of why the world is burning and what it'll take to fix it that they are unwilling to humble themselves to listen to each other, much less listen and submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus isn't deterred by this. He knows where the power to change comes from. It's from his Father. Verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. What in the world does he mean by that? He means this. God the Father is behind the scenes, bringing spiritually dead people to life giving the gift of the church to Jesus, as we talked about last week. People don't just come to this on their own. The God of heaven has to come and teach. And he is teaching his children to believe in Jesus. That's the only way we'll know Jesus, if God teaches us. And they will all be taught by God is a promise from Isaiah chapter 54, promising of the new covenant when the Messiah shows up. How is he teaching? God the Father is is teaching that the Old Testament, the Old Covenant promises that Israel had for generations were ultimately about this man standing in front of them saying he's the bread of life. He's teaching them by the one they're supposed to come to, to Jesus. He's revealing Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. And if the Father is revealing Jesus to them, They're coming to Jesus. They're believing Jesus. So, do you believe Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God? If that's you, praise God. You are being taught by God. And you're being taught by God about the heavenly food you really need. Some people really struggle with this. You remember Thomas, one of Jesus' disciples? He said, and we'll look at his story near the end of the book. When he was told of Jesus' resurrection in John chapter 20, verse 25, you remember what he says? 
unless I see his, in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the Unless, and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Why does believing someone who we can't see seem so difficult? We do it all the time in other, other places and mediums or media. People believe that they, people believe people they have never seen before. How many radio or podcast hosts have you actually met? And yet you don't know them from Adam. You hear what they're saying and you believe them. You don't have to have seen God to learn from him. And they didn't either. But they and we have been given the equivalent. Jesus, God in the flesh. God has taken that step. We need heavenly food. Jesus is the heavenly food we really need. But manna rained down from heaven. So how is Jesus different? Well, what is heaven? I'm going to cut through all the caricatures and nonsense about it and say this bottom line fact. Heaven is where God dwells. Because God is there, life is there. And when God in the flesh comes, what comes with him, in him? We need heavenly food. We need Jesus because, secondly, we need food that gives life. One of the great lies that the culture we live in has bought hook, line, and sinker is that this world is all that there is. And the assumption is that what we're living is actually life. We are in a great battle today, church, against a spiritual deception that tries to keep us focused so much on the here and now that we fail to live it in light of an eternity awaiting us. But when Jesus comes and we come to know him, when we believe him, we have eternal life, life that begins now and life that is raised on the last day in glory and perfection. He guarantees it. And I have to say, if there's no eternal life, we should not be here. This would be the saddest use of our precious time to come here. And I'm saying this as if there were no eternal life. To come and pray to a God who, if he's real, can't give eternal life. To come and sing songs that don't make any sense to the majority of the world's current population. To have a guy stand up and talk from the biggest hoax of a book, week after week, to give time, talent, and treasure to continue what? What an insane people we would be to walk around for the rest of the week seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, if there was no eternal, real life. The Apostle Paul said it this way, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 15, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. This is real life we're talking about today, not something fake, real. And our being here, our living with Jesus the rest of the week, it does matter. John 6, verse 48, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. 
This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread and believes him, he will live forever. This is true food. Jesus even goes on to say in verse 55, For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Do we believe this? Do we believe that the breakfast we had this morning is less substantial than believing in Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ is a food supply that will never go away. Jesus said in verse 56, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Jesus will explain this further in the book, but believing Jesus is a one and done in one sense and not in another sense. It is a one and done in the sense that Christ dies only once for sins once. And we only experience conversion, our entry into salvation through faith in Jesus once. But after professing faith in Jesus, coming to him saying, yes, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God. We don't just walk away from him saying, thanks for the heavenly ticket. No, we believe and we cried, oh Lord, help me to be closer to you. I want to be with you every moment of every day. I want my life to be lived with you and in you and through you, Lord. When I wake up, when I eat, when I talk, when I have fun, when I work, when I travel, when I'm with friends, when, I, when, I, when I'm with my family, when I'm in hard times, when I'm in great times, when I go to sleep, I want to be with you and know your presence with me, Lord. I want to be further made like you. All that is captured in this word, abiding. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. And the people who come to Jesus, they don't leave. How could we leave life, which is truly life? Oh, this life in Jesus is so good. We should want this life in him above everything else. But there's a catch. A catch? Yes. Here it is. Jesus won't let you go into this without both eyes open. Okay. What do you mean by that, Aaron? I mean that this gift of life, this food from heaven, this Jesus who is the food we really need, is not free. I had a professor in college who would always say, Nullum gratuitum prandium. It's Latin meaning, paraphrase, there's no free lunch. You see, our need is greater than we know. We don't just need the bread of life that lives. Thirdly, we need food that dies for us to live. Verse 51. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? There is a great scandal in Jesus being the bread of life. And the crowd is just beginning to see it. The water is beginning to pour on top of the shed, and it is splitting. 
The Jews are not only grumbling now, they're quarreling with each other. Some hearing Jesus are starting to believe the Father is drawing them, and others are thinking this is more ridiculous by the moment. And then Jesus says something scandalous, that Jews, to believe they're in their promised Messiah, need to eat his flesh. Then he tops that and says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. All the way back to Adam, then to Noah, not only was cannibalism forbidden, but the blood of any animal was not to be consumed. The blood was the life, and when the blood was shed, violence had been done to life. But there was more. The only place in the history of Israel where the flesh and blood were greatly important was at the altar of sacrifice. The animal would be killed, its blood poured out, its flesh burnt on the altar or consumed by the priests. And if these Jews are hearing correctly, Jesus is not talking about cannibalism at all. He's saying, you cannot have the bread of life unless the bread is broken. Unless, as John the Baptist said, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world through sacrifice. So it's a scandal for them. There's a question. Is it a scandal for us? What does Jesus mean? He means this. And we who have the book see the ending Jesus is talking about. Unless you believe in my crucifixion, Jesus says, where Jesus hangs on the Roman cross and dies, you can't have real life. Why does it have to be this way? Because this bread is costly. God said through the, through the Apostle Paul that the wages of sin is death. And it's death because sin is ultimately a rejection of the real God of life and an embrace of a lie where there's nothing but death. And the only way our just sentence gets turned around is if someone more worthy than us pays for it. And how does the payment work? Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. But what kind of blood? The book of Hebrews says, animals can't do it. A fellow sinner can't do it. They have to pay for their own sin. We have to pay for our own sin on our own. What's required? Perfect blood. Innocent, truly innocent blood. But who can pay not just for a single person's sin, but for potentially the sins of the whole world? Only God in the flesh could do this. But that's not where the scandal is. The scandal's here. This question, is God willing? Is God who has been spat upon, rejected, disbelieved, mistrusted, hated, cursed at, who has, an ev who has every right to sentence everyone to hell for just one sin, much less a lifetime's, is he willing? Verse 57. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will will live because of me. 
This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. For God so loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's the scandal. The gospel of Jesus Christ is scandalous good news. He is willing and he did do it. It seems too good to be true, but that's the beauty of God. He is that good and he is that true. You and I deserve to be hung on a cross. And along comes God, the very one whom we have wronged. And he says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. The question, as some profound, have profoundly said, is how could a good God is not how a good God could send people to hell, but how a good God could save sinners and call them sons and daughters. This is what grace is. It's the sovereign work of a loving God who brings to us his son and brings us to his son and says, Believe him. Eat the bread of life. Costly for me, but life for you. We need food that dies for us to live. Jesus is the food we really need. Do we believe him? Do we admit our need, our helplessness to save ourselves? And admitting his willingness to do the work and come that we would come? Does your spirit groan to be satisfied by Jesus, the bread of life, and by him alone? If yes, then God your Father is teaching you. If not, may you pray that he would teach you and that you would see the bread of life as the one that can satisfy Jesus told those who followed him after he had risen from the dead and before he ascended, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey, observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Do you know what this command is from Matthew? This is a command to tell other people about the bread. There are hungry people in this world. People who need the bread of life and they can't get it themselves. And Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, tells us that we who have been shown such grace, such mercy to be taught by the Father and come to the bread of life, we should take the opportunity on this side of eternal life to show mercy, to make known that Jesus is the food we really need. Jesus is the food they really need. Jesus is the food we really need. Let's feast on him and let's 
give him to others. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending the bread of life. Thank you, Lord, that you're, you were willing. You were willing to pay a heavy cost that we could be set free, that we could have life. Oh, Lord, help us to recognize the cost and to give you praise and honor and glory. And Father, we pray that by your grace, you would bring many more sons and daughters to glory, that you would feed many, many more children because you are able to do this. And if our lives are any testimony, you are willing to do it. Father, please work through us. Pour out your love through us. The people might know and have bread forever. We pray these things in the name of the bread, Lord Jesus. Amen.